Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Good day everyone and welcome to Capital Irish, the Irish-related programme that comes to you every Sunday at high noon on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. And of course you can listen to it anytime online by googling wellingtonaccessradio.org.nz. We are supported by our sponsors Peter and Susie McGuinness, the Hutt Valley Irish Society and the Wellington Irish Trust. With me in the studio doing the important technicals is Marion Grealis, who is also one of our presenters and does a great job in both roles. St. Patrick's Day is four days away. It's on Thursday. Here in New Zealand, we are still in partial lockdown with only 50 people allowed at gatherings. The normal St. Patrick's Day celebrations will be a quite a fair. But in most other countries, the celebrations will be back better than ever. Did you know that as well as being the patron saint of Ireland, Patrick is also the patron saint of Australia, also Nigeria and Montserrat? This gives him a universal recognition in the world. He is also the Christian apostle to the Irish diaspora worldwide. He is one of the best-known saints in the world. There are more than 7 million people in the world that bear his name, Patrick. There are many churches and cathedrals that bear his name, one of the most famous, of course, being St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Not bad for a former slave who was kidnapped from his family when he was 16 years old and sold, he was kidnapped by pirates, and sold as a slave to Irish landowners. He escaped from Ireland six years later, returned to his Roman family in the west of Britain, which was then, of course, a Roman province. His real name was Maywin Suscat, S-U-C-C-A-T, as the family name. Years later... After being ordained a priest, he changed his name to Patrick. You know what it means? Father figure. He asked to be sent to Ireland as a missionary, which was then known, of course, as Hibernia, which means land of winter. His goal was to evangelize the pagan Irish. And by the time of his death as an old man, he had largely achieved his ambition. He achieved all that without cell phones or internet or Facebook or any modern-day communications. He did it by the force of his personality, setting up monastic structures in towns and small villages all over the country. His grandfather was a priest. Now that's not surprising, as most priests were mad men 
up until about 1123 AD. Historians say that Patrick died in 461 AD. That was 29 years after his arrival in Ireland as a bishop. He used the shamrock, which is a type of clover, to try to explain the trinity of three divine persons in one God. That's three leaves on one stem. He left us with the Celtic cross, as the pagans had worshipped the sun for thousands of years. Patrick incorporated the sun into the Latin cross, and that Celtic cross is world famous today. He is buried in Downpatrick in County Down, as is St. Bridget, Ireland's most love, loved female saint. The next most famous, famous Irish saint would probably be St. Columkill, also known as Columba, who died a couple of hundred years later, 597 AD, and he's buried on the island of Iona in Scotland. He was born in Garton, East Donegal. He is credited with bringing or at least extending Christianity in Scotland. And one of his monks, St. Aidan of Lindisfarne, played a major role in the Christian evangelization of England. There were many more great ones who carried on Patrick's evangelization to the far corners of the world. Their legacy is a huge one. In their day, Ireland was known as the land of saints and scholars. After that, time for some music, and we will have the chieftains with some traditional stuff up against the Bohalons.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that, something lively. The Irish Central recently had an article about Irishmen and Irish Americans and their connection to George Custer's last stand. That's the 1876 Battle of Little Bighorn. What I like about this newspaper is the fact that it takes pride in the Irish contribution to the building of the good things about America. But it also publishes, as is not frightened to publish, the fact that the Irish were also part of the negatives and not-so-good elements in the building of modern America. The article says that of the 268 soldiers that died with Custer in that battle of Little Bighorn, 34 were Irish-born, including Custer's captain, a Wicklow man, Miles Keogh. The battle was fought, as they mostly are, for control of gold found in the Black Hills of Dakota a year before. The Black Hills were sacred to the Native American Sioux people and the Cheyenne people. Within a year of Custer's last stand, the Native tribes in that district were forcefully confined to reservations and their lands confiscated by the government. The commanding general of the United States Army during the Frontier Wars, as it was called, was an Irish-American, Philip Sheridan, a hero of the American Civil War ten years before. Now his father, that's Philip's father, was a county cavern man. His son, the famous general, is buried close to John F. Kennedy in Arlington Cemetery. But to the Native American people, he is remembered and regarded in the same light as the Irish people remember Oliver Cromwell, just a war criminal who ordered the massacre of women and children. He is, that's uh, the general, he is credited to have coined the famous phrase, the only good Indian is a dead Indian. Well, 13 years after the Battle of Little Bighorn, the Wounded Knee Massacre happened December 1890 in South Dakota. And there, 300 men, women and children were massacred. 20 of the soldiers who died, who did the killing, were awarded the Medal of Honor the United States' most prestigious commendation. There have been petitions made to different presidents and recent one to Joe Biden to revoke those medals, but so far to no avail. That massacre was the final symbol to the end of Native American resistance. After that, they were forced, all forced, into reservations. Their history is indeed a sad one, much sadder than our own history. Irish soldiers were involved in that massacre. 
Four of them died there. And the last surviving American soldier of that massacre was also an Irishman from Crestwellen in County Down. His name, Hugh McGuinness. And he died in the 1960s at the ripe old age, at the time, of 94. Now, writer and historian D. Brown was one of the first American historians in 1970 to tell the story, the true story really, from the Native American perspective. He wrote that after years of broken treaties and the tidal waves of European settlers, their dreams, that's the Native Americans' dreams, died there. His book is called Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Time for a song with a Native American connection, sung here by the great late Liam Clancy, Shenandoah, which means beautiful daughter of the stars in one of the Native American languages. Oh, 
special connection to Native American tribes, especially the Choctaw people from Oklahoma, who during 1847, the worst year of the Great Hunger in Ireland, they sent $170 to help the starving people. That was a lot of money in those days, despite their own suffering and hardship. In 1995, Irish President Mary Robinson visited the Choctaw Nation in Oklahoma to publicly acknowledge their generosity. They made her an honorary chief there. On St. Patrick's Day 2018, Leo Varadka, the Taoiseach at the time, also went to Durant, Oklahoma, to witness the designation of a sculpture to mark the tribe's act of kindness. At the time, the Irish Times wrote, 
that the treatment of America's native population is one of the great stains on the history of Western colonialism. The reality of conquest, it wrote, has been cloaked in national myths that have been perpetuated through modern American history. How true, how true. When I was young, every second movie was a cowboy and Indian one, with the baddie always being a Native American, and the hero, a white man with a hat and a gun. The first cowboy movie that I remember showing any sympathy to the Native American people was Dancing with Wolves. Some of you, you might remember, with Kevin Costner. I think that was about 20-odd years ago. Now, American historian David Stannard wrote, The destruction of Indians of America was far and away the most massive act of genocide in the history of the world. Some words. Anyway, changing the subject, the Irish Centre recently reviewed a book called The First Kennedys, and the author is Neil Thompson. When we think of the Kennedys, known by many as America's first family, we associate them with wealth, power and style. This, the author says, is a million miles from the humble origins of Patrick and Bridget Kennedy, the hard-working 19th-century Irish immigrant couple who escaped famine, poverty and oppression in Ireland to create their life together in an American city that hated Irish refugees. The hero in the story is Bridget Murphy. Her husband, Patrick Kennedy, died young from TB, leaving Bridget with four young Kennedy children. Even burying her young husband was an ordeal, as the then Protestant-run Boston city showed contempt for poor Irish immigrants. There was a law preventing Catholic burials within the city limits. She was forced to take two boats to reach the town of Cambridge to bury her young husband. Bridget worked as a maid, later becoming a hairdresser and eventually opening her own business, a remarkable achievement at the time when it was not only difficult for the Irish but extra difficult for a single young woman with children. By the way, she came as a single woman to the United States and met her husband, Patrick, there. What the author finds strange is the fact that John Kennedy and his brothers often talked about their great-grandfather, leaving the family homestead in New Ross, County Wexford, but they never once mentioned Bridget, also from Wexford, but a different part of Wexford, even though Bridget was the reason that the Kennedy clan survived at all in America. Well, I'm not surprised, because my experience and observation of life, and I'm not young anymore, is the fact 
that women keep families together more than men do and are the backbone of all societies. Another book with a good review and voted Book of the Month in February in our central is called We Don't Know Ourselves by Fintan O'Toole, Irish Times columnist and the author of many books. It is an essential book for anyone who wants to understand modern Ireland, says The Guardian. And another Irish paper, or another paper, The Business Post, wrote that it may well be the best thing that Fintan O'Toole has ever written. And he's written quite a few. Well, I hope you all have had a good St. Patrick's Day, where, or will have a good St. Patrick's Day, wherever in the world you may be, and that you have found something of interest in my programme today. And if you think any of your friends or acquaintances might find it interesting, please send them the link, and they can listen to the podcast of any of our programme makers from our different presenters, from different age groups, And with that, I'll say fare thee well until next time. And now we'll go out with another chieftain's piece of music. And it's called Freel's Kitchen. Fare thee well. You've been listening to Capital Irish on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM thanks to the generosity of our sponsors. We couldn't be here without them. Our sponsors are Wellington Irish Trust, Susie and Peter McGuinness and the Hutt Valley Irish Society. A very big thank you from all of us on the Capital Irish team. That programme was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.